All right. And we are live. So Lillian, thank you for being here, first of all. Sure. <laughs> I appreciate it so tremendously. So um, Lillian, for the people that don't, um, that don't fully know what you do, everyone that's listening, Lillian is my face reading teacher. Um, we've also worked together in feng shui. But can you give people a background to what face reading is? Because there's people that are going to listen to this that will know and some people will be like, I have no clue what face reading is. Right. Well, you know, face reading is really ancient. Actually, most cultures did some kind of face reading and, and we still do whether we realize it or not. I mean, we look at politicians on the news and things like that and, and you make some judgments. I think the thing is that China, ancient Chinese decided that face reading was something worth studying and they, they literally went through um, probably thousands of years of observation and determining that you know what features matched which organs and what emotions showed up as certain wrinkles and so it became a science it's actually a it's, a it's a natural science and they documented it quite well and it's something that i think is innate in human beings to read faces as i said um, babies are born with the ability to read expressions for example so it's it's pretty natural it's just that sometimes we forget that we we know how to do this yeah it's an intuitive process for sure and just last week, and I taught my first like face reading course, you know, to the to the public. Cool. Yeah, yeah which, which was awesome, and that was one of the key points. Thank you. Uh-huh. It was one of the key points that I brought up was just that that we all face read. And one of the things I did was I had five faces up, and I had you know a political figure, people that weren't particularly right. popular, but that they wouldn't know who right. it was. And then I had one Navy SEAL guy who looked like a, a fighter. And of course, out of the out of the five, I said, "Who's the?" who's the fighter, you know, and they said, they're like, they're like that guy right there in the middle. I said, so how do you guys, what's the deal? Like, how do you know? Perfect. So it's, it's that intuitive process. Right. Um, so Lillian, you know, in the context of Chinese medicine, we've seen mm-hmm. face reading. That was how I first got exposed to you was you came and spoke right. at my right. acupuncture university. Right. And, you know, when we first started learning um, Chinese medicine diagnosis, mm-hmm. That was like a really tiny sliver. You know, it's like the first week we kind of are like, okay, red cheeks mean this, you know, green around the (laughs) eyes means this. And there were some baseline ideas, but it it was never fully flushed out. And you really kind of um, made that picture more whole. And you've really done a good job of making face reading a part of Chinese medicine, not just an isolated thing by itself. So I'm actually you, really proud of that. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk I, about I that some? I brought it back yeah. to the field. It's, like, it's really interesting because I I realized early on as a child, learning from my grandmother, that there was a lot of medical information involved with face reading. And I thought, why why isn't this more known? And as I started, I actually started teaching um, at junior colleges, just, just general classes for you know people who wanted to study something interesting. Yep. And I remember I had a woman come in who was um, the dean of a uh, of a you know, university for Chinese medicine. And she said, wow, this is really interesting. Do you know any medical stuff? And I said, oh yeah, this is quite medical. And so she said, would you come and talk to the to the students? I said, sure. So I did a free lunchtime talk and all I talked about was the diagnostic criteria that I, I knew about, just a few things. And she was so excited. She said, could you teach a class on this? I said, sure. And that's how it, that's how it started. Yeah. So, the thing that I realize is that um, it's it's everywhere in Chinese medicine. If you look for it, um, it's it's something that can definitely be um, found. You know, in the in the Neijing, the Yellow Emperor's Classic, it's 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 all there. But one of the things that I recommend is that people um, rec- recognize that these little snippets of information had to be put pulled together again. And that's what I did um, with my book, my first edition, and also my second one. And that was something that I I feel really good about because it it brought back this this body of knowledge is very very comprehensive mm-hmm. so it's 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 everywhere it's just it's hard to find in, in 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 bulk you know absolutely it is yeah and i think that was the the nice piece when you brought it back i think it kind right. of 
<clears throat> I think it sort of solidified for all the students when you were talking that mm -hmm. this is a really key diagnostic tool if you're going to be working right. with people clinically. Right. So that was a huge, and I liked that you were, you know, you were up front. You're like, I'm not an acupuncturist. I'm not working <laughs> no. with people clinically. You're like, but you guys should be using this if you're willing right. and able to, to explore right. this because it's so damn important. It just seems right. it's such a key piece um, in this larger process. So was there... What, what you've seen, you know, in people when you're using this, um, you know, when I took your course, you talked about we, there were so many different ways to look at the face. There was mm -hmm. the, the Jing, Qi, Shen, you know, looking at the mountains and rivers of the face. There's so much content. But there's when you, so many details. Yeah. There's so many details. Yeah, there's so much to it. So when you're looking at people's faces, um, do you have a general approach to the way you do it? You know, do you read one of those layers first or is it sort of a different process for each person? It's a different process for each person. It's, it's very individual. It's like one of the things I always say is that it really facilitates communication between people, whether it's business communication or personal communication. What happens with me is that the features just jump out at me. <laughs> they literally kind of go, hey, look at me, look at me. It's like, wow, what mm -hmm. an amazing set of eyebrows or what an amazing nose or what an amazing mouth, you know. Yeah. And it just jumps out at me and I have to say something. I mean, I don't say it to strangers, obviously. I'm not working. Sure. But if a client comes, the first thing I do is look at whatever jumps out and I'll make a comment. And interestingly enough, most of the time when I I do see something that I think is really amazing it's a feature the person doesn't like which which uh -huh. automatically makes them feel better about themselves because I think it's really cool and I'll tell them why it's like wow this is an amazing feature because of you know this this and this and they'll go oh I like it better now you know yeah absolutely or I'll, I'll reframe things I'll reframe things that they may think have been criticized like someone will say oh I, I know I'm really stubborn I go yeah that's great <laughs> because you're so kind-hearted if you weren't stubborn oh my you, you'd be a pushover you know that mm -hmm. kind of thing absolutely and <clears throat> do you think that features you know when we're looking at features mm -hmm. people have asked me and I'm sure people have asked you at some point right when they're talking about you know they say what does my nose mean right that, that's mm -hmm. that's like the first thing or that what, what do my eyes mean or what do my eyebrows right. mean? right and you brought up a key point. You said, you know, features that we read are also relative to the other features yeah, on, the, a, on the face. So how do you, yeah. can you talk about that, how you navigate that that's, a little bit? That's actually the hardest part about face reading is putting it all together again. And I'm still not completely sure how to teach it so someone can say, if this, this, and this equals that, then this, this, and this equals that. Because it depends on what people have. And there's so many variables mm -hmm. when you look at someone's face that this kind of nose can go with a completely different set of eyes every single time, you know. Yeah. And then, you, then you're saying, okay, what are, the, what are those two things mean? together and so it's really kind of an intuitive process to understand like how things merge you know mm -hmm. and how they how they play out in someone and so I um I work really hard at that that's probably the hardest thing about face reading is figuring yeah. out how to blend those features and what does it mean and I often enlist the person I'm reading and saying okay so you have this traits you have these traits how do you put them together like how do you bring those things together how do you uh, you put it yeah in their, how do you, you put it in their hands yeah, it's like because they know they're that you know it's like right. I'm thinking how do you do that <laughs> Well, it points to that, the art and science piece, right? It seems right. like the science is sort of like, okay, these features isolated in a box can, right. can mean this and then, right. but in relation, we've got to intuitively feel how they, how they link up. Right. Um, and the same thing happens with diagnosis <coughs> as well, though. It's like right. you can see a certain diagnostic marker, a certain color somewhere. And a color, you know, one place means something, a different place means something else because it's different organs. But in two different people, you can have markings in the same place, the same color, but it's not going to mean the same thing. Yeah. You know, that that's, that's a right. little tricky too. Is it is it, you know, something that's emotional, is it something that's physical and and how is it impacting that organ? Mm -hmm. You know? Absolutely. 
you know, you brought up some really cool threads when I took your course, which I loved, you know, the, right. the certification <laughs> course, you. which was great. Yeah. And there was so much information and at times. I was like, oh, my God, how am I ever going to like, <laughs> how am I going to absorb all of this? But it, but it yeah. sort of matriculates in at, at its own pace. But you talked about um, one of the things you talked about early on was the topography of the face of seeing it as, right. a, as a landform. Right. And you kind of touched on that, too, in relation to feng shui. You were like, you know, we're looking yeah. at the topography of a face. You called me out in class and you're like, great, you've got a mountain nose. You're going to need some topography like in your yeah, in your life. Mountain. So can you talk about that process a little bit conceptually for people when we're talking about yeah. the, the face as a geography and a topography and what that means? And right. The, the it's, it's, really, it's really cool. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I, I also do feng shui, as you know, and mm -hmm. and. For a long time, I realized, you know, I read faces before I did the feng shui, and one of the things I did was to pick out, you know, their face, the features in their face that say you should live in certain areas, you know, and, yeah. and, and like I told you, you have a very strong mountain, which is a great nose, and that means you can't live in flat plains all the time. Correct. It just, it's not going to make you happy, so you've got to actually have some hills or Probably some mountains, you know, behind you, yeah. or, or wherever around you. Yep. And and so what happens is, is like the Chinese are very, very, as I said, they're natural scientists, and they looked at everything in terms of um, nature, and they looked at the body as a landform, the face as a landform. You know, Peter Firebrace is an excellent um, talk on the, the body map, and he actually has a, a wonderful ancient photograph of like you know the kidneys being a, being the ocean, you know, and and mm -hmm. different organs being different right. different bodies um, in in the different bodies of water, different landforms the face is no different mm -hmm. and if i could maybe you can do this maybe if i could find someone who could draw the face you know I with could, the landforms, i could do it that yeah. would be so cool I you know because yeah. there are these mountains that say wow you've got amazing cheekbones or you wow you've got an amazing nose and the nose in particular for example yours is it's you should live around a place where there's one big mountain Mm -hmm. that's, that's that's the major mountain like like Sentis in in Zurich or yeah. Mount Rainier here in Seattle it's like yeah. one big mountain that says ooh that's that's like that's like gray yeah <laughs> the powerhouse what? right the big one yeah one strong mountain not not a whole bunch of mountains like if you had all these different bones it'd be like yeah you could have like the Sierra Nevadas you know the right. whole range there's not such a such a diversity of of you know single mountains that are separated like that we have here in the northwest you know so yeah the landforms say a lot about where you should live and the flatter the face, the flatter the landform. Right. That, and that, that's such the, the coolest piece because I, mean, I think what's fascinating about the face reading is that when you started teaching the material, of course, I had a bunch of links in my head. Right. You know, the places that I've been drawn to, you know, um, I love Mount Shasta, you know, which is like the, bi the big... The single mountain. Right, the single is. mountain. <laughs> and then when you were, um, when I was doing my first video series and I had a mountain behind me and you're like, where is that? And I was like, that's Mount Rainier. And I said, I love that picture. And you said, of, co of course you do, you know? So there were some cool threads. And then I remember, I remember so distinctly when you asked me in class, you're like, so where do you live? And I said, Sacramento. You're like, Ooh, that's in the Valley. You're going to have to like eventually probably <laughs> get out of there. And I was like, yes, it's yeah, exactly yeah. how I feel. Well, if you had, if you had a really broad face, with like, you know, flatter features and like really wonderful money right. bags, you do have money bags, but if you had just that, I'd say, Oh, you should live at the plains. It should be like flatter. Yeah. It's just, it just will make you happier. And also yeah. the thing is if you have lots of water, people with lots of water do really well by the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and if you have smaller water, it, you're better off with you know rivers and things like that. So there's it or, or places where it rains a lot. You know, I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, there's many different factors that are involved. But but I think that um, it's something to pay attention to. People don't really look at. They can they can say, oh, I love this area. Yeah. But they don't know why. If they realize their features are actually saying something about where they're going to be happiest, then they should look at places a little more differently. It's like 
sometimes I say to people, you might want to consider where you want to live and then figure out how to, how to make a living because they, they go someplace and go, I can make a living here, but what if they're miserable, you know? Right. And people right. are miserable in some places because it doesn't match who they are. Yeah. You know, and that's something I think is, is really critical. So, yeah, mountains mm-hmm. and rivers, as you know, the mountains are all the bony features, the ones that stick out. Mm-hmm. You know, and the rivers are all the features that have moisture in them, like the eyes and the mm-hmm. nostrils and the mouth and things like that. So it shows a lot about where you need to live. And yeah. I'll give you one more example. Yeah. Um, I have full lips, but I don't have a big wide mouth. If I had a really big wide mouth, um, it, there'd be more earth there. And if I had more money bags, I could do places that are flatter. But mm-hmm. my, my lips say that I, I also um, I need some places that have some lushness in terms of the soil. Right. I can't have places you can't grow things. You know, and so that's actually because my lips are full. I need I need places where things grow. <laughs> well, and you're such a foodie. You're such a yeah. You yeah. Are, I have to have fresh. <laughs> you and I are like on the same page on that. Like we yeah. are, we're such I, foodies. Yeah. Well, when I used to consider moving places, I, I always looked at mountains. Cause I have some bones, you know, but I also would always go to the grocery store and check out what was there if they had gourmet um, gourmet items. But that was also part of like, do they have the food I want? But I also look around and say, do they have farmers markets? Do they have farmers growing stuff nearby? And yeah. I don't know that I could live someplace where everything had to be imported. I, mm-hmm. I think that'd be really uncomfortable for me. <laughs> yeah, so but my earth would say, oh, I don't think so. Yeah, it's not going to work. Not going to work. <laughs> you had said um, in in the class and just in, in conversations we've had where you've talked about you wanted face reading to be taken seriously, quote unquote. Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. And that's, and that's, I would love to hear your, your process on that because I think sometimes it gets lumped into the whole, like almost like, you know, calling up the psychic on the, on the 1-800 number. Yeah. And you were like, I don't, yeah. you're like, it's really not that. And I don't want it to be that. And no. I think you said, you told me a story where you're like, I think I was, you were going to be on a, a talk show with Snoop Dogg. And you're like, I turned it down. Cause you're like, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't make fun of it. yeah. No. And you're like, I, I want it to be taken seriously. So how have you navigated that and getting face reading to be taken more seriously? What has been sort of the, the process it, of that? It was really hard actually. It was really hard. I, I remember one time I got a, a call from a, a woman at a magazine, and she wanted to interview me. And she said, "So, do you consider yourself new age?" I said, "No, I consider myself ancient." <laughs> like, that, right. was, that was my comment because, like, yeah. this is not new age. This is like so ancient, five thousand years old. old. You know, it's, it's like old, yeah. no. And I'm not opposed to new age philosophy and all that. That doesn't bother sure. me at all. But but that's not who I am. It's like I'm actually very traditional, and I'm very, um, you know, I'm, I, I hold I hold to the the truths that were taught to me, and and so, my, my grandmother's lineage. And so the thing is, I, I, I laugh a lot because people say, say, oh, even my own family sometimes will say, oh, how's your face routine going? And, and they'll say, so you, are you doing a lot of fortune telling? And it's like, I'm not fortune telling. Right. <laughs> because face routine did have a branch they used for fortune telling, but, but that was actually not very hard to do because the face shows you so much about potential mm-hmm. that you can see where someone's going to end up, you know? Yeah. So, so it's not hard unless they change their mind, and, and you can change you know, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so the thing for me is that I – I very carefully I t- taught at junior colleges first, and then I taught at um, um, at, at Samar University, and then from there I taught at you know Yosan and Embers, and so I got All myself right. into um, conferences pretty easy, pretty fast. Um, the thing is, I still have to say, and I don't want to criticize anybody here, but for a long time I was still considered entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I wasn't taken very seriously at all. And people would ask really hard questions, and I'd answer them. And I remember some organizers would say, "Wow, Lily, you know a lot of Chinese medicine." And I said, "Yeah, I guess so." <laughs> you know, yeah. And it, it honestly wasn't until my book got published that yeah. I got taken more seriously. That's one of the things that happens is that people take authors seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, that helped a lot. But 
I think over time, what I, what I found is the more students that I taught that were acupuncturists, for example, and doctors as well in Europe, yeah. um, the more it got out there. And people would say, wow, this is really helping me in the clinic. And, and you know, not only does it help you diagnose, but it also helps you interact with people. And so people were starting to use it. And, and word got out that, that, hey, this works. And I yeah. got quite popular at the conferences so that they had to take me seriously because I kept filling up classes, you know. So yeah. that, that was helpful. But it was it was not easy. I mean, I, I kind of joke about a glass ceiling. It was like um, it wasn't because I was a woman. It was mm-hmm. Because that my subject matter wasn't taken that seriously, and and luckily I had a few really strong champions in the field, like Sabina Wilms, for example, who mm-hmm. very clearly pointed out that Sun Tzu Mao said you had to be an expert in physiognomy to be a, to be a master physician. So it was very helpful. Yeah, that's very true. And I can say with a when we first started working together, and I was telling you, you you knew my background that I was in right. acupuncture school. And you, you were reassuring me, you're like, that for one, that's really going to help your basic foundational understanding of this. And you were right. I mean, the, the understanding of the Chinese medicine context in relation to face reading really did help tremendously. Helps a lot, yeah. And they, and they fed each other. It was a two-way street. I thought, mm-hmm. boy, this really fills in some gaps right. um, in terms of my understanding of looking at the face. And then um, in the context, I do feng shui, as you know, and that's right. when you started establishing that piece, that the topography, the landforms, that changed how I interface right. with clients. So tremendously. Well, it helps you with the elements, too. Yeah. It's like it helps you so clearly saying, wow, you need more metal in your house because look at the metal features that you have. Or Correct. you need a darker room because, you know, you're not being yin enough so much water in your chart. You have to have a dark room to sleep in. And that kind of thing really shows up easily. It does. And people really took to, you know, when I taught that course last weekend, yeah, when I said that piece... They yeah. were listening and they were like, oh, this is all very interesting. And when I said, and your face kind of points to the feng shui of your environment where you live, right. there was a group, ah, oh, like, whoa, <laughs> like they were all just like, oh my God, really? And I said, yes, that's why it's so fascinating and so cool. But that yeah. really, that, that really spoke to people. It really got their, right. their attention. Right. Well, you know, feng shui is part of Chinese medicine as well. Mm-hmm. It's one of the branches. And it's like it was. Unfortunately, it's not being accredited right now for a lot, a lot of reasons. I used to get accredited for that program, but I have to say, it's like you know, feng shui. It's, it's the outer body, and so that's why you know you're looking at at the face as part of the body, but it's the outer body, and this this gives you so many clues as to how the outer, outer body needs to live. You know, it's like mm-hmm. what environments uh, what environments impact you, and how they impact you. That's yeah. Can we talk about feng shui for a minute? I would, sure, absolutely. I, I would love to pick your brain on that because I mean, you're very well known for face reading but you're an excellent i mean very very i used to be very well known for feng shui but yeah took right over, yeah <laughs> right so right so but you have this this branch and um you know people hear feng shui and sometimes they get this this notion that feng shui is just asian interior design and that's always the right. thing where i'm trying to <laughs> no. like no 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 it's not that no. i would love to hear the way you sort of break down the idea of feng shui to people in general and how you sort of approach it well, there's actually a really great saying in the Tao Te Ching that says, if you want to understand people, watch animals because animals are natural. And the point of feng shui is to be natural, mm-hmm. to be a natural human being. And natural means that you live basically in harmony with, with the natural world. And we don't very much, you know. Yeah. Remember my grandfather one time, he was really a very funny man. He, he said to me, why would you want to live in a place where you don't like the weather? And I said, well, people live in places that don't like the weather all the time. He said, well, if it gets too hot, you take off the padded jackets. If it gets too cold, you put on the padded jackets. That's all you do. You know, he was very clear about that. And, you know, and that's what he did. He took yeah. off the padded jackets, put on the padded jackets. <clears throat> I, I used to laugh because that's, that's, he didn't care about heating or air conditioning or anything. And mm-hmm. he just said, it, your body is designed to live in a certain place. And I'll just give you an example about a face reading feng shui connection. He said to me that when you have a, a fairly you know, high bridge of the nose and a nose that's fairly large, you should never live in places that are too hot. 
because your body cannot handle the heat. It's like it, that's a nose that's designed for cold weather. And he said, so why are you living in a hot place? Because you can't get your body to cool off. And he said, so you should live in a place where it's cooler, which is one of the reasons why I moved to Seattle, because it's cooler in the summertime. <laughs> I can handle it, you know? It's, it's right. still sometimes getting hotter than, than I like it. But yeah. but the point is, I can handle cold weather a lot better than, than hot. I can get I could get myself warm, but I can't get myself cooled off. And that's because my nose is too big, you mm-hmm. know, and my and my um, inability to handle um, hot weather is, is, is an issue. And people with smaller, flatter noses, they can handle a lot of heat. They can handle going out in the sun and laying in it. I, I can't even think about doing that. I get overheated really fast. And so yeah. there's that very simple thing and, and people get concerned because it sounds like you're stereotyping noses but your ancient ancestors before we had heating and air conditioning I, were nomads I mean, people mm-hmm. went all over and they found the right place to live and, and eventually you know evolution actually created features that were f- good for certain areas and mm-hmm. so you'll see that people who have big noses wherever they live originally i mean we're talking you know many generations ago came from places that that showed you um what the climate was like and so yeah i just look at that and kind of go huh that's interesting you know and people yeah. often live in places that don't match and they suffer through it but i i wonder why why are we working so hard at making things different than they need to be and mm-hmm. so living naturally is the key and and what what supports you and what makes you the healthiest happiest person you can be what mm-hmm. do you need in your environment you know right and in the context of feng shui, as you're, as you're kind of going down this road, when people talk about, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to people and I'm trying to get mm-hmm. into their minds, the idea that environment kind of shapes your psychology too. How, you know, the things, we, the things we can do in our environment. How do you sort of approach that idea, I guess, for the general public when you're telling people, if, if that idea is completely foreign to someone, they're like, why would, okay, landforms maybe, but if they're like, what about just the stuff around <laughs> me? Like, how do you, how do you get that into people's minds uh, yeah. to, to like get well, them to bite? Feng shui sometimes has become like a you know, cartoon um, joke, and which which bothers me a lot. This is why I call it Taoist design instead. Mm-hmm. But it's even it's way more than design. It actually is is something so profound. And 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 I think the thing that I find is that people have that idea: you move your bed, change your life. Well, not exactly. It's like it's about manifestation. And manifestation is about very clear intention. It's about doing something outside your body, actually doing something energetically to move you know, energy towards a new direction yeah. and then letting go letting and letting things happen the way they happen. And so you can change your life by moving your bed, but only if you want to change your life, <laughs> you know, right. and, and mind you, there is an aspect where you move your bed and maybe it's a different direction or whatever and it might impact you. But you know, even the Botsy, the Botsy gives you directions and they're very accurate actually. And, and astrocartography gives you directions. Mm-hmm. And and feng shui um, very clearly. Uh, there's directions that work for you in the compass school, for example, and other directions that don't work for you. And I've seen time and time again someone who doesn't believe in directions, and I'll say, well, you know, you might be better off if you face your desk this way. They, they change change their desks, and it does actually influence them. Uh, but even more than that, I've seen having a view changes people's perspective. Sometimes yeah. looking at a wall is just not good unless you have a painting that gives you some perspective. Mm-hmm. And then looking out somewhere makes you have you know expansive mind, which is why views are so important in real estate, for example. Yeah, yeah absolutely, and that's that's been very true. I think I told you that story in my little the book that I made, um, the financial feng shui like little manual. It's like the five things that I do for finances. One of the things that I I did before starting that process, and and how I right. connected with you was. I was kind of going through my material, the stuff that I'm, you know, and I'm like, I'm not doing this in my house. And I changed my northern, I changed my northern wall, which was the business career success type stuff. And I, I very distinctly, it was a sleeping woman, and it was this Mm -hmm. picture of a solitary woman just sleeping. 
And right. beautiful, I, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful, but it was kind of where my business was. It was where like how I right. was feeling about what I'm doing with right. Chinese medicine. And right. I changed it to and I, I, I kind of did that mental snapshot, like what what makes me think about success and movement? And it was coursing like whitewater rapids kind of a thing. My wife right. and I decided on a picture, we got a big five foot thing, we put it on the wall. And it was within 10 days is when yeah. you reached out to me to do the Taoist design. I don't even remember how we connected, but it was like, you want to come to right. Seattle? And I remember being like, whoa, I just <laughs> changed the picture and things shifted about 10 days yeah. later. And that's still, but, but I get these, I get these testimonials from clients. They're like, right, right. and then they come and they're like, so I know you kind of said this might happen, but how does this work? Like, why, yeah, did, why does think- that work? And I'm like, I don't fully know. I think it has so much to do with intention, though. I think people mm-hmm. decide that they want to do something, and when you when you energetically do something to to manifest that, it just it just moves energy. And so I think that's actually really important. And I think going back to that idea of, of being natural, mm-hmm. um, you're not a woman, and and a sleeping woman isn't <laughs> right. is it you? And so yeah. if you want your career to succeed, put something that symbolizes you know your energy. And so she, I think she's wonderful someplace else. I mean, obviously you love yeah. looking at that as like as a gorgeous painting. Yeah, it's nice. But it just it just didn't symbolize you enough. Correct. That's all. And so, or it, it was the yin part of you that was like not present. You know, it was like mm-hmm. asleep. You know, like not there. And and so I've I've seen I've seen some pretty miraculous things happen. I have to tell you, feng shui yeah. to this day still astounds me. I don't do as much as I used to, and I tend to do more corporate. Um, I tend to work with buildings and building yeah. sites, and you know the the um, floor plans and all that. But. Mm-hmm blueprints and but I, I i really love feng shui and i think it's something that needs to be brought out more in that kind of original form which says mm-hmm. are you living naturally and 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 what is that, that that's important and i'll just give you an example i had a client recently um she's so young that she thinks yin is being mildly young wow i mean when, when someone is really extreme right. they think that the opposite is is here rather than here right it's like so middle, she middle was, right <laughs> yeah and yeah. so so she had no concept and i said to her look I, I need you to have some place in your life that's yin you need to have a dark place and she said well i don't like darkness and i said well i know you don't like darkness but darkness is really good for you and i recommend that you have a sleeping area where you she goes oh i have insomnia do you think it's good is that, is that why and i said well you know your pineal gland picks up light you know from early in the morning mm-hmm. and it starts waking up and apparently you're, you must be very sensitive i said so she goes, but i love having the windows open and she she argued with me for quite a while and i said if you make your room dark i promise you, you won't have insomnia the way that you used to and that was like the simplest cure but she didn't have a place where she could go and be right safe secure dark it's such an easy feng shui cure and it's all, it cured her insomnia mm-hmm. now mind you because she wanted the blinds open every morning she jumped out of bed opened the blinds course, you know right yeah. away of course and, and but that, but that's okay. And so for me, that was the simplest cure of all. But it was a yin yang imbalance, and it showed up on her face as well. And if there was too mm-hmm. much yang, or her face was pulled back too tight, there was too much fire. There were too many wrinkles for her age, and things like that. And she was just excessively young, obviously an athlete. And yeah. and I just thought, you know, she needs to get more yin. And so I had to give her this dark little cave like place to yeah. go and be. And the only place she could she could handle it was when she was sleeping. Mm-hmm. So trying to give her a yin office would be a really bad idea. Sure, not all the lights. She, you know, she would, yeah, yeah. She would, she would be miserable. Well, see, all I mean, there's so much to talk about here because there's so many different, <laughs> yeah. so many different directions we could go. Right. But when you've done, you know, you've taken like face reading, you've gotten to, to be taken seriously, right? You've got it plugged into right. like the, the context of Chinese medicine, and it's had a movement. People right. are 
a lot of Chinese medicine people that I know, their colleagues are like hitting me up and like, they're like, what, you know, they want to talk about it, they're <laughs> That's interested, great. which is great. great. And then, um, you know, you've also done, like you said, feng shui, you've done not just, I know you did personal kind of home stuff for a long time. And then you did move into like the corporate scene and doing those kinds of things. And when you've done, I think your workers, workers needed help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll bet. <laughs> When you've done feng shui in the corporate scene, what do you see and how do you approach that process? Like, so if you go to a building or you're working with a business, like what's that process look like and what have you seen as a result of implementing feng shui? I think a kind of a funny story. So I, I worked with this, I worked with this one developer specifically and, and he listens to most of, most of the things I say. So it, it helps me a lot. But, yeah. but one time there was a building, it was a beautiful building and he wanted to make it all glass, which I'm, I'm a little wary of anyway, because you have to do a, a lot of work with blinds and things to get the, the lighting good. But, mm-hmm. but he decided that he wanted to, the architect decided he wanted to make it uh, green glass. And I said to him, you've got to be careful because one of the greens that he was using, when it shines on people's faces, is going to make them look very, very sick. And I said, first of all, all the women are going to mutiny because it makes them look like they're, they're dying. <laughs> and, and second of all, it, it's, it's really harsh. You know, It's like wearing those really weird green sunglasses they used to have in the 60s to look at documents. And I said, you're not going to like it because it's, it's hard on your eyes to look through green. Mm-hmm. And, and I argued about it, and they overrode me, and they put in that green glass that was popular in with a kind of an opaque green and then mm-hmm. clear and kind of opaque it just it was it was actually cool but and very beautiful but afterwards the developer said to me Lillian I should listen to you and I said oh, I said what happened he said everybody hates that green glass and I said well I told you he said it, it really harms their vision and he said the women hate it because it makes them look ugly <laughs> it makes them feel like they look ugly they didn't look ugly but yeah. they look like they were sick and dying it's like right. it's that color green it looks like you have cirrhosis you know <clears throat> it's like mm-hmm. it's not good and and he said I wish I'd listened to you and I, all I can say is you know that's an unnatural color right for light to come through you know, mm-hmm. and so I just said it's it's not good, and you know that that that's the kind of thing I do. So now he listens to most everything I say, which is great. But but you know what I like to do is help people um, have healthier lives, and I figured when I did corporate um, design, especially when I work with buildings before they were built, I could actually influence how the spaces were laid out. Yeah. So I did a lot of yeah, I did a lot of space planning, uh, trying to eliminate as many cubicles as possible, or at least making the workspaces, you know, more conducive to having creativity and and uh, i mean give, give me an example it's, it's hard to work with um business people when they're worried about productivity and they're worried about you know um profitability and yeah. so one of the things i talked to one guy one time about was the fact that his cubicles were too small and he was doing a major you know remodeling and i said they got to be bigger and he said why i said because you're spending a lot of money in healthcare, right he goes how did you know that i said because everyone's gonna have the flu every winter like crazy i said there's claustrophobia here and when you have claustrophobia the lungs get impacted the lungs mm-hmm. get impacted they're so close together everyone's gonna get sick someone's coughing right here they're gonna get sick right here it's like you got three feet apart I said, and your ventilation system needs to be upgraded. And so I, t- I t- started talking to him about that, and he, he changed the, the layout of the, of the office so that people had more space, and they were mm-hmm. their their cubicles were arranged. So everyone had their they weren't next to each other like lined up like you know in a row. They mm-hmm. had um, variations on where they entered, mm-hmm. and. I have to tell you right now, the the rate of um, illness dropped dramatically. I'll bet. So I was quite happy about that. I like to see that kind of thing happen. And at the moment, what's really popular is these open spaces where everybody yeah. works together like in a war room. I have to tell you, that's actually horrible for productivity. Mm-hmm. Well, because you're distracted, it, right? It would seem like you could be very distracted very easily. Cool. 
actually, it's actually terrible. Mm-hmm. People really do well when they have offices. And you know, early on, when I first saw the Microsoft campus, I had a friend who worked there, and I went over to see it, and I was so impressed because everybody had their own office. And then it mm-hmm. got more and more crowded, and started like two to an office, and yeah. pretty soon they're putting. You know, I tell you, it was great because everybody had their own office. It was it's one of the best things you can do is have everybody have an office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just makes a difference. <clears throat> well, at least the space that's that there's right. They can claim. When you People are very territorial, I'll bet. I mean, yeah, it makes sense, right? Because I mean, everyone wants their own space. If I, if right. if we can have it, right? We want we want our territorial right. bubble of some we, kind. Yeah, and people people say, oh, well, this can be a space for anybody who comes in. It's, yeah. it's always it's always very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I even tell people when they travel a lot, bring bring things from home, bring photos of your family, and you know, bring. I used to say bring candles, but now you can't bring candles and matches, so it's like that's yeah. not no use. But I would say bring bring stuff that makes you feel <clears> like it's right. You know, when you. So that idea that you just mentioned was it's interesting because if you went from, you know, working with a space that's already built, that's already yeah. has a yeah. structure, and then you said, right. but you also got to do space planning before something was built. I like that. Son. So tell me, yeah, so if you're approaching an empty space, there's got to be some pillars that you sort of default to, I would think, mm-hmm. fundamental ideas that you want for a space. So if you're space planning for, say, a business, what are some of the key things that you would like to see ideally in that? Well, you know, it depends on what you're working on, but I do a lot of um, corporate offices, so they often always, they have me look at, you know, the corporate offices, they have me look at, you know, the the presidents and vice presidents Mm -hmm. and all that. And there is a hierarchical structure. This is actually this does come from you know ancient China, where there's a hierarchy with the you know the the emperor has a throne and he's got sure. arms, and the people who are below him have no arms, and people below that have sure. no no chairs, and people below that are on the floor kowtowing, you know. So there is a hierarchical structure, and um, that corner office is very much known as the president's office, so mm-hmm. the CEO's office. So. I, often I will be asked to pick out who goes where and why, mm-hmm. and that's really fun for me, especially if I have a floor plan, I can say, okay, what's the farthest from the front door, you know, mm-hmm. which is just classical feng shui, mm-hmm. um, that's the most powerful place, and who goes where? Well, obviously the CEO is going to have the corner office, the president. And then you're going to put the people in, in, in terms of who goes next. And I had this one so one company one time. I have to tell you, it, it was a family business, but it was actually a corporation. It was actually um, a public corporation, but it was a family-run business still. And family-run businesses are tricky. I, I grew up in one, so I know they're they're <laughs> politically yeah, yeah. fraught with tension. Anyway, <clears throat> the CEO um, was the father. The stepmother was the, the vice president. Um, the daughter i believe was head of hr and she wanted the office next to her father Mm. which with a door that she could go directly into his office and bypass going outside seeing anybody else i very politely said that wasn't a good idea she wasn't in the room and i said that she needed to be closest to the people she works with her team so i put her with her team not intentionally trying to take away power, sure, sure. but she didn't need to have a place where she was going directly into her father's office. First of all, it was invasive for the CEO. Uh, is, there's a boundary violation that, you know, as, as a daughter, she's one thing. As an employee, she's another thing. So they had to separate mm-hmm. the roles. So I put her down, still in the corporate headquarters, I mean, down in the um, the bottom here where her, her team was right outside that door. Mm-hmm. And she ends up being really happy once I explained to her why I was doing it. But at first she was very upset because she wanted to be next to her father. But I just told her how much more powerful it was for her to be near a team. Yeah. And so I didn't try to take away power from her. I tried to take mm-hmm. away the, the improper boundaries. Yeah. That's, and that's what family businesses often have is improper boundaries. You know, you can t- <clears throat> treat people correctly because you can yell at someone who's your family but you can't yell at an employee. You know, you know what I'm saying? Right. So that, that was actually a really important concept. And so 
he made everybody happy. It, it made it made yeah. people get along better, especially the stepmother and the and the uh, you know stepdaughter did not have a good relationship, and that she was trying to avoid her, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then you know the whole thing was going. Well, I want a door. And she goes, Well, I want a door too. And I said, No doors into his office. One door. Yeah. <laughs> the door. Everybody goes. Yeah. When what's interesting about this, you know, as you're talking, and, and I think this is like the overarching theme with feng shui and stuff, is that you're taking. Like you said, like these ideas, right? It's a concept. We know that there are energetic boundaries within a company right. between family members. And it seems like feng shui is trying to make manifest these things into physical form. It's like, okay, these are ideas that we're all kind of aware of. How do we materialize it? And how do we right. make the environment reflect right. what, what's happening at, at, at that emotional and ideal idea level. Yeah. And there's also, I mean, interior designers have done this for years. You can create moods so easily too with color and with patterns and things. It's like people don't, they don't, they underestimate, you know, how important color is. For example, I think color is huge. And Mm -hmm. I I also have to say that, um, how do I explain this properly? I'll I'll tell you one of my success stories too. There was a development that was going to be built in a resort area. It's really a beautiful development. But when I saw it, I saw the plans and the first thing I said was, you are actually doing a development in a place that's very environmentally minded. Mm-hmm. And I said, your buildings are too close together. Your buildings are too tall. If you don't put in some green space, I can guarantee that the city council of this of this town is not going to approve it. I said, because it's a green town. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're not going to get away with this. And he said, well, but we're going to lose square footage. And I said, it doesn't matter. If you want it to pass, you have to spread the buildings out and you have to lower the, the building height. And I said, you've got to lower it at least one floor, preferably two. You can make them wider and mm-hmm. you can give them more space. So I gave them all these options and they ended up drawing it where they took off the top floor mm-hmm. and they made it a little less of a, a little less peak to peak because it is in a snowy area mm-hmm. and they separated out and put green space in and it passed the first time it went through city council. And the reason why is because there was green space and because mm. it didn't take away the view of the people up in the hills. And it was very, very simple because I researched the city, the town, before I went and looked at the plans. And the, mm-hmm. the city was so green, they're going to disapprove of everything. Yeah. And I've worked with a number of cities like that where <clears> I <throat> don't mostly deal with the city, but I deal with the you know, the architects and the developers. And, and you have to know what the city is willing to do. And some cities will do not want that kind of you know, development. And, and frankly, it's been such a popular resort because of the green space. People who live there are happy. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what happens. When, and the company now is known for their green space, which is great. <laughs> That's very cool. And, and what I like so about that. Yeah. And what I like about that story is that you were saying, I mean, it, as what's cool about this feng shui process is that you were taking into account the view of other people. So there's, right. there's this awareness of not just the business owner and the thing that's going into, into place, but it's like, how does this affect the people around. I mean, that, well, that's, I, that's important. I wish, I wish I could stop some of the McMansions that are being built, as they're called, because you, know, you go into a neighborhood and it's this lovely old neighborhood with these cute little charming houses and all of a sudden it's this monstrosity of a house that takes up the entire footprint of the land. And, and it, look, I'm sure that people are happy because they're very indoor people and they're very happy with all their accoutrements inside. Sure. But for everybody else, they drive by and kind of go, ooh, ooh, ooh. It's like, it's like wincing. You know, it's like, and yet maybe they want to stand out. That's their, you know, their, their, their way of doing that but the problem is because feng shui goes back to being natural and being part of nature it's like right. does this house fit into this neighborhood mm-hmm. so often i'll get asked i was actually recently at a um, shopping center um, in northern california and the guy who owns the shopping center said lily i need to paint the shopping center what do i paint it as i said see the colors of those hills over there he goes yeah i go paint them that color <laughs> yeah so it links said, up people won't notice it i said no that's what signs are for Mm-hmm. Science can be colorful. I said, but if you want it to blend in and make it really popular, paint paint the color of those hills. 
that's what yeah. I did. We painted the color of the hills, and it turned out beautifully. I have to tell you, it was just it was yeah, it very up. subtle, very low key. It was it was wonderful. It was wonderful. So yeah, you try to be natural, and I think so many buildings are unnatural. Yeah, they don't fit. No, and you know Frank Lloyd Wright, he went and sat at building spaces, at building places, and those land sites, mm-hmm. and it's over several sometimes seasons. Yeah. To see the trees and the water, he would literally like take into account everything in the, in the natural environment. Now, some of his designs were a little funny, like you know, falling water was not a great idea. Didn't water you know? go under the house on that one? Yeah, yeah. that one wasn't great. And, yeah. and you know, I I also have to say, I mean, there's there's a number of designs, for example, that are that are problematic, especially <clears> some <throat> of the really modern ones because mm-hmm. they leak. When you start yeah. putting lots of points in places, you know, pointed buildings in places where it rains, those joints, they don't seal ever really well. And they leak like crazy. So, you know, it's like some things are beautiful, but they leak. You better have, you know, a a catch basin underneath the roof to catch all the water that's going to come through, you know, because it's going to happen. It's just, it doesn't make sense, you know. Well, these ideas are very basic. Like that's just a fundamental one. I mean, they're very intuitive. Like the things you're talking, you're very, you're talking about is like, this is the way the environment is. This shape or this structure here is probably right. not going to do well because of well, this. Yeah, and think about how many times you hear about some structure in the Midwest. They have a really bad storm and it's got a flat roof and it collapses. It's like, why do you have a flat roof in a snow area? It's like, well, maybe the snow doesn't fall that heavily most of the time, but every so often you're going to have <laughs> a heavy snowfall. Why do you have a flat roof? The, the roof can't hold that much snow and the, the roof collapses. It's like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't it doesn't work. And like, why don't we have houses on stilts in places where there's 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 you know a lot of water in the soil it's like Mm -hmm. i have a friend actually who built a house near the river in florida and they were on stilts and and for that environment perfect Mm -hmm. i wouldn't want to live there frankly it would scare me to death but (laughs) but the river would actually like knock me over but but they were really happy there and that's what you do in that area The, the you know the water level was way too high yeah you know so that's something you think about when you so when you go into like these corporate scenes you know maybe you're building a space or you're working with a a space that's already being built I mean, you are, I know you are, you're face reading as you do this also, All the right? Time. You're right. So, <laughs> so you're, you're working with, you know, the people who own the company, you're working with employees. Right. So it's just me being curious, you know, are you explicitly, like if someone comes to you, are you working with them and saying, okay, I'm going to do your feng shui and we're also doing face reading? I mean, you don't tell them or you just sort of kind of fat, they, like, they know, they know, they know yeah. I'm doing face reading. And, and one of the things, I mean, you know, I'm really good at expressions, of course, because that's something I, I teach and also do all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I watch the expressions of people. I just did a, I did a headquarters um, th- recently, um, and the headquarters was, was being built for all these people who, who do property management. Mm-hmm. And they all have different properties, and they they have um, not really a hierarchy because they're they're all heads of their own departments. Okay, mm-hmm. and so they didn't really work together. And they had a structure that was making them like spend too much time together when that's not who they wanted to spend time with. And so I separated them out. So this person works with this team. And so I moved them into different places in the building. So they, they actually had their team with them, which I thought was normal. And afterwards, one of them said, Lillian, thank you so much. And I watched her the whole time I was in meetings. She was so uncomfortable about where she was going to be. And she kept saying mm-hmm. things like, I have to walk down this corridor to get to my people. I have to walk down. She kept saying it over and over again. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, this is a problem. So let's not have her walk down that corridor to get to her people. <laughs> she right. wanted to just call out, hey, Joe, come on in. <coughs> so I moved her. Mm. 
and and she was so happy. And all of those people, believe it or not, because of the purpose person, the developer I work with, needed to have their input. And so because I made her so happy, she was like, "Yes, we're going to do this design." And so there was no there was no argument. The mm-hmm. other two were really easygoing about, it, but she was like desperate to have a change. And so I gave it to her. I saw, I saw she needed it, and I gave it to her. It was it was great. It made me happy. I, I, I yeah. often do that. That's what I pay attention to. Who needs what, and why do they need? So I'll, I'll interview them too. I'll say. So what do you need? What do you want? Mm-hmm. Do you care about this or that? Right. You know, do you care about a view? <clears throat> do you care about? I mean, what do you care about? So some people say I don't care about a view at all. I put my head down. I'll use my computer. I need, I need to be like you know, right. <laughs> quiet. Like, right. Okay, well you get the quiet part over here. And when you do that for people, it changes productivity like you cannot believe. It's, mm-hmm. it's astonishing. And so many people. And I hate to criticize this, but they, but they they're known for a certain design and they think everyone should like it. People right. are very different, you know, yeah. and I also believe very personalizing true. spaces. So I tell people who own <clears> companies, <throat> let people have their own paintings, let them or choose <clears throat> their paintings, let them have right. you know, their family photos, let them have the things that personalize the space because yep. it makes them want to work there. It's a, that's huge because I think that's like you just said, I mean, if, if we don't have an emotional response with the stuff in our environment – or right. positive or negative. I mean, it's not going to fare well probably for the people <laughs> that are there. Right, right. And and also too, for example, I, I work a lot with common spaces. Mm. So I like to have um, really great kitchens, you know, places for people to, to yeah. go and sit and eat their lunch. Right. I think those spaces are worth so much. And, and often I see, I've gone into a lot of companies, for some reason I'm really good at um, setting up manufacturing plants. <laughs> I have no idea why I understand industrial engineering because I wasn't trained in it at all. Yeah. But, but I'll, I'll just explain to you this one company. The first thing I did was I, I cleaned up, I made them clean up the, the lunchroom. It was horrible. I made them get some, you know, um, vending machines. People actually could buy some stuff there. I made them have put in a new sofa. I made them like, you know, get some nicer table. I mean, I just cleaned up the whole thing, like a new refrigerator. Yeah. Um, I just, I wanted, I wanted them to have a really nice lunch room because these people work really hard on the line and then the other thing that was really important to me is that they they had a space that was it was old and i wanted them to paint the walls it just it didn't matter mm-hmm. what they painted the walls but they, they needed to have like something to look at that was actually like fresh looking you know instead yeah. of being so so grungy i had them paint the concrete too below the below the machines and things so yeah. I, I really i really love to to make spaces look clean because it People have, feel like they have space. Then they feel like they have like absolutely an environment that's, that's that's helpful. And one of the things that happened is that people started eating lunch at, at the office instead of going out all the time. And it made people come back from lunch on time. <laughs> they enjoyed so being there, right? They had a lounging place. You know, they had mm-hmm. a place to sit on sofas and sit and talk, or tables where they could actually like you know chew the fat basically and and yeah. and enjoy themselves. So that that made me really happy to to give them a place that feels good and it enhances again productivity and and they didn't want to spend the money and i said paint doesn't cost very much you know it's like yeah. and painters don't cost very much and so mm-hmm. they actually got a lot of benefit from very little out, outlay yeah well these little, like these, these these things that you're saying again it's these small tweaks that i think people take we we don't pay attention to it seems like as a culture that the right. things the things around us have an effect on just how we think and I, I think it's right. so important to illustrate that and all these things you're talking about do that very well. Oh, and yeah, and the plant manager I said to him, so would you want to work out here? And he goes, no. I said, then why are you making them work out here? There you go. It's like it's really simple. It's like mm-hmm. it's gross. <laughs> I actually, I actually am not that polite when it comes to those kind of things. It's like mm-hmm. yuck. It's like I just tell them this is not a, this is not an appropriate workplace. You've got to make it more more humane you know mm-hmm. and that i i often go for giving power to the people who have the least it's like they need 
power. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they empower means to get nice places to work. Mm-hmm. That's all. That empowers them to do their best job because they want to do a good job. People, people want to do a good job. They do. Yeah. yeah. Right. I agree 100%. Lillian, kind of swinging back to the face reading piece because as you're talking about this, right, it's it, the way it's making my mind think is there's like, it's like pathologies and environments. You're like, this isn't working and people are going to feel crummy mm-hmm. here, right? The green glass, these things where we see pathology in the environment, you're like, we need to remedy that. Just not natural. Right, right. It doesn't fit. It doesn't, it's not working. And w- when you are looking at a face, you know, one of the key threads that you brought up, and I think as Chinese medicine people, they really stress pathology first. It's like, mm-hmm. these are the signs of people being sick. And right. when you were in doing your certification course and I was going through it, you had a lot of, there were a lot of things you could be like, this is kind of a red flag. You know, if you see these marks or these lines or these wrinkles in these right, places, right. these are things to, to track and to watch. So you're very good at, and I noticed this like right out of the gates, when people have what we would call a very real red flag on their face. Right. And it's like, you know, sort of the oh shit factor. Like, ooh, that's <laughs> like, this is a problem that needs to be addressed right now. <laughs> You're good at um, navigating that terrain and not making them freak out the way some doctors right. do where they don't have any bedside manner. You're very good at that. So how do you, that process of, can you talk about that some? Like where you see yeah, something that's yeah. really not ideal on yeah. the face and then how do you, put it in a context where it's more positive and it makes them want to move forward because you're good at that. And I would love to hear that's, imp- I, that's important. At, yeah. I'm tactful when I'm getting paid. I, I, do, I, do want to mention, I do want to mention once if I read yeah. someone's face and they're a, a, a no BS person, mm-hmm. like the plant manager I was just talking about a few minutes yeah. ago, I had to be really blunt with him. I said, I said to him, this is gross. And he said, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> because if I said to him, no, this isn't very nice. I don't, I don't think you get it. You know? Yeah. So, so I do, I he did look at bluntness. him and go, he needs, yeah. yeah, he needs me to kind of go, Hey, be blunt. Yeah. Um, but when I when I see something that's that's dangerous, I kind of go, oh dear. It's like now, mind you, I have a poker face. That's one of the things I train myself to do. But I look at it and I go, okay, what could this be? And I'm, I'm kind of having an internal dialogue as I'm as I'm asking someone a question. They're talking, and 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 one of the things that I do is I try to find the best way to say it so it doesn't cause alarm with very little affect. Mm-hmm. And I'll, because I'm not supposed to diagnose. I'm not supposed to say, look at someone and say, oh, my God, you have cancer because that's not what I do. But I can yeah. look at someone and say, oh, oh, dear, your immune system is not so healthy. So I'll mm-hmm. say, so are you feeling kind of run down? And I said, well, your, your face says that your immune system is not optimum right now. <laughs> that's a way of saying mm-hmm. something's wrong. And I yeah. said, so I think you need to go get a checkup. And I, I also would recommend you know, this and this and this. And, and like, for example, I could say to someone, you know, you need to move more. Mm-hmm. And I, I once had a my, – my ex-husband went to the doctor and he – had a period of time where he was really not able to, to exercise very much and he needed to. I mean, he was a wood person who was, you know, having trouble with, with mm-hmm. um, his job. And anyway, the doctor said to him, you don't exercise, you're going to die. And he came home and told me this and I started laughing and I said, oh, that is like so not the way to motivate someone. Like yeah. fear, <laughs> fear can motivate some people, but <clears throat> it's not the way to motivate him. Yeah. And he said, what do I do? I said, well, you need to move more. You know that. I said, so, so move more. I said, just make an effort to move or go walk the dog. You know, it's like, yeah, but, yeah, but move around. he wasn't, he wasn't going to die from not, from not exercising. He, he, you know, look, he's having some issues. There were, there was some inactivity in his life that sure. it was useful for him to move. So I wouldn't have said that. I would have said, look, you need to move more. You know, mm-hmm. your liver chi is stagnant, which is what, what it was. And I said, so I would say, so what, what kind of movement do you like to do? How often can you do that? And I would put it back to them to tell me what they want to do and make that kind of an imprinted uh-huh. idea of what they're supposed to be doing for themselves. So I, I give it back to them a lot instead yeah. of me saying 
bossy cheekbones, this is what you should do. I say, you yeah. know, this might be a really good idea. I, I think this would be something that would, would help you. What do you think about that? And they'll say, yeah, I know I need to do that. I say, good. Now, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's really a powerful tool because that was one of the sort of I would say when I met you, and I've shared this with you many times, um, and you were you were very receptive and just reciprocated everything that I was saying. But it was very healing to work with you as a teacher. Thank you. Yeah, because you were very, um, you were very. What's the way to say it? You know, we see. I told you, like in martial culture, right? Like martial arts, it's um, a lot of it is, and I understand why. I mean, there's there's a fear driven thing of you know you're going to be hit if you don't do this thing right, and it is motivating, and you do kind of get in line. It's very military like, and Chinese culture is very much, you know, they're, they're sort of like, they're like eat bitter and be on the negative and like re- remedy, <laughs> remedy your deficiencies otherwise. And you have like really gone and, and I've realized just teaching in general, like I don't terrorize my students because I've never seen it to work and it's not natural for me. I like to lean into the positive and give them that, but you really like do that also very well where you sort of, Thank you. you feed the positive and you nourish the person from that side and you nourish life as opposed to treat disease in a way. And, mm-hmm. you know, in Chinese culture, it's not always like that. And so <laughs> I guess like, why did you kind of go that route? Was that just a natural proclivity, something you learned or like what, what took you down well, that road? Cause you could have gone harsh and bitter and you didn't. Oh, well, my grandmother wasn't a harsh and bitter person. She was actually lovely. And, mm-hmm. and that, that was partly where I learned it from. But I will say, you know, Chinese culture is actually rather critical. Yeah, you know, they're very, they're very critical. Right. And so mm-hmm. yeah, there's a saying in Chinese, if, if you praise your children, the gods will get jealous and take your children away. Meaning your children will die. So you don't praise your kids. You, you tell them what's wrong with them. And so, you know, yeah. having been raised like that more than you might imagine, I, I realized – you know, I'm, I'm a really sensitive person, and, and criticism was really painful to me. It also caused a lot of trauma, even though it wasn't meant to cause trauma. I'm sure it was, caused, it was meant to motivate me, but it didn't, actually. It, it actually caused me to recoil and, and just hide inside myself and not, not try very hard. So so I, I made a vow to myself, and it's actually after working on this issue a lot, that I wanted to, to be positive. I wanted to not be, be non-critical mm-hmm. um, and, and non-judgmental as much as possible. Mind you, I'm, I'm a human being. I, I certainly am, I have criticism within me and judgment within me, but I, I spent a lot of years realizing that I don't think it would help me so for so I want to help other people understand what's what's right about them as Kelly would say who works with me yeah. um, not what's wrong about them it's, it's a great it's a Kelly Harrington's a great quote mm-hmm. um, and it was very naturally it happened it's like I just found myself focusing on what was good it's just it's just what I do and yep. and and then praising that and <clears throat> I found for example in feng shui and, and, and face ring too, if, if an element is really deficient, instead of saying, oh my God, you're so fire deficient, you need to go out and have some fun, I would say, you know, I think you might need to have more fun in your life. You know, what what do you think is fun? And they might think reading is fun. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, you should read more because that's what's fun for them. It's not my idea of, well, reading is fun for me, but yeah. it's not always my idea of fun. Right. Cooking and eating is even more so. <laughs> but, but why would I put like someone else as a nightclubber? Why would you say, go clubbing? It's like, it's not going to work because right. that that works for you, but not works doesn't work for them. So you have to remember who they are mm-hmm. and come from, from their viewpoint rather than your own. And that, yeah. that's, that's helpful. Plus, it's like if you... 
to make people feel good about themselves, because everyone knows what's wrong with themselves, really, except yeah. for a few grandiose narcissists, but right. <laughs> but but everyone knows what's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. If you focus on what's good about them, then they'll they'll have a stronger sense of self and a, and a healthier ego. And from there, healing is more possible than if they come from a place of lack of self-esteem and lack of ego where they beat themselves up for being wrong and bad and terrible. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a much healthier way to go, and I think it happened because I was sensitive and realized people could get hurt by being criticized and being judged. And so... Yeah. I don't criticize and judge hardly anything. I mean, sometimes people shock me. There, there are times I get shocked and kind of go, like, oh, sure. my God. But I don't show that. I kind of go, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you, thank, you, thank you for telling me. You have a kick-ass poker face. That is for sure. Like you, oh, my you, God. It's very good. Like, and, and you're able, But you're able to take it and reframe it nicely in a way that people – that it speaks to them. And they, I feel like their spirit is being nourished. And they're and – well, I think it's healing. Yeah, it is. It's very healing. And, you know, my mom asked me – because when I was talking about you, I was like, I'm really – you know, I'm working with Lillian Moore and I really enjoy her company and she's fun right. and, you're, and you're positive and, um, Thank you. yeah, you're welcome. And I'm fun while I'm teaching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's you are, you are. Um, but my mom asked me, she said, so what's, what's different, you know? And, and I had to sit with it for a minute. And one of the, the images that came to mind, I said, mom, if you were like walking up a mountain, right on a trail, I said my, in my past, and some of which has very much served me, but some of my prior martial teachers were just so damn authoritarian and just so right. pointing the finger. And it was like a guide saying, go up the mountain this way, take a left, take a right. And if you don't, you're going to get hurt. You know, and it was just that kind of a thing. And I said, Lillian, I said, she kind of walks beside you with you with her hand oh, on the back. And she's like, it's like you're walking up the mountain. You to, can, you can to, do this. Together. It's like, yeah, but it's like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, an equal who's walking with you. And it's like, yeah, oh, I've, I've walked this road. But what do you think about these things as we're seeing it? And it was much more of a sharing kind of... Which way I, would you like to go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, would you like to go yeah, this way you. for a little while and explore it? And I thought, I mean, that's that's very refreshing in the context of Chinese culture. I think like it's been... Well, yeah. Thank you. And mm-hmm. I, I had one student, one, one client one time who called me up seven years after I gave her a face. She was, Lillian, I'm really sorry. I didn't listen to what you said. I said, well, no, you're not, you can do whatever you want with what I said. She said, no, no, you told me something I knew was true, but I, but I couldn't do it for seven years. I said, well, but you did it. I said, it worked, it worked for you, I hope. And she goes, oh, it worked perfectly. I said, well, then you're ready. I said, there's no time limit on what, on what, you, what you don't need to do. <laughs> it's like you can live, do, live your life as you want and do whatever you want to do when you want to do it so mm-hmm. i mean I, I i'm not responsible you know for when someone does something and they are <laughs> so that's part of it too it's like if you're ready then you can do it you well, know and what's interesting about what you do and i think just the way that the face reading works and, and the, the way you deliver your personal medicine um you know through this living tradition is that you know it, it did it took me when i had my first uh, face reading i'm 37 now at 30 you read right. my face in santa yeah. cruz is that that long ago oh yeah, my gosh i know it's crazy right it <laughs> flies by but you said, you know, you said at that reading at 30, you're like, yeah, at 33, you're going to have a very real like fork in the road. You're going to be able to like live on the mountain and cultivate by yourself or get married and have a baby. And you're like, for your face, you know, getting married and having a baby is going to be like the better move. I do remember that. Yeah. And you told me that. And it was, I was like, okay, you know, I took it in and I didn't think about it again. I mean, I, I, I took it in. I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then it was like three years later, 33, I got my wife my now wife in Sacramento, <laughs> who's like, I want to get married. I want to have a baby. And I had the opportunity in Santa Cruz to live on a, you know, a pot farm and train, a pot farm and train Kung Fu. And just, it was a, comp- and I was like, damn, like the, here it is like full tilt. But it, it, it is interesting how these things sort of, um, I don't know, you get a reading and it comes back and it makes sense down the road. And then 
but I did have the guidance. I, re- I remember like your words were in my head and I thought, yeah. And, and when I projected into that Santa Cruz situation, I was like, that's not going to work. Like that's, yeah. that doesn't yeah. feel right at all. And when I would go that way, I thought, you know, and it was, you know, I got my little baby girl teal now. And oh, it, she's darling. She's oh so cute. She's, yeah, she's such a she's little. darling. Well, and the thing was, it was on your face. It said, first of all, at 33, something was going to happen. But, you know, it was age marking. But yeah. second of all, what, what showed up was the fact that you had this, I don't want to say it was a conflict, but you had a choice between yeah. a really spiritual life, because you have an extraordinary third eye, or a really human life. That could also be very spiritual. That's it. I mean, regardless, you're going to be spiritual. Yeah. But did you want to go live in the mountaintop? And I kind of thought that was not the best choice for you because you 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 have such you have such beautiful earth features that say you want to live life and enjoy life. You yeah. know, enjoy hugs and enjoy food. I mean, just yep. enjoy. And I, yep. I wanted you to enjoy, and that was really important. Yeah. And so, it's beautiful. Fully guidance. human, fully human, fully divine was better for you. I thought. <laughs> It was it was be- it was beautiful guidance because and, and what you just said I mean that was so I think that's the coolest part about face reading is that it, it, like our face kind of points to these things and it was it was the perfect guidance because you were right and I had a dream um, which I'm not going to go into now but it was about that very thing it was living in the stars or having my feet planted on the earth right after my wife confronted me was like I want to get married I want to have a baby and I was freaking out and that's exactly the theme that was it and I think it was right. so cool to see that you know this this lens of Chinese medicine and, and, right. and, and reading the hologram, as you right. call it, the holographic face, um, you know, points to these markers. But I think it's that's why it's so powerful is that we give these signposts, right? It's not a, necessarily 100% definitive, but I thought, boy, those words, <laughs> they rang through something fierce. Oh, um, I'm so happy to help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. You did most definitely. Well, Lillian, you know, in, in kind of summary, like in this larger context of this conversation, you know, people are listening to this and it's their first time hearing about face reading and, you know, some of this probably went over their head, some of it landed. What do you, what's the invitation you sort of give to people if this is a new world for them um, and new terrain for them, you know, what would be kind of your, I don't know, like your, your invitation to people in terms of exploring this and having it be a potential part of their lives? Well, I, I think that the most important thing I can teach anyone is that the language of the face is the original language. You have mm-hmm. a grandson who's just over a year old, and I have to tell you, if I make a face at him, he knows exactly what I mean. Yeah. And I would like for him to remember to always go back to that original knowing that says, I recognize how someone else feels or what they're trying to convey through their face because it's actually the place where we do all of our communication you know whether it's yeah. the voice or the the eyes that, that shine through certain emotions mm-hmm. so i want people to go back to the original face and say okay here's the original language of the face and that's the language of the emotions the language of expression and and not get fooled so much by what people say if yeah. someone's staring at you saying something and the words don't match what they're what they're looking, mm-hmm. you want to pay attention to, to what you're seeing, not what you're hearing. And that, I think, will help people get through so many things in life. And that's like the original face reading. And from there, there's so many more things you can learn about face reading. You know, And I, I would love to get students to, to, to buy more books and come to my classes. But whoever's supposed to come will come. Right. I want people to remember that face reading is something that's, that's, that's authentically a, a, a science and an art from ancient China that's, that's still worth reviving. And, yeah. and on that note, I have to say, Abraham Lincoln actually chose his entire cabinet based on face reading. Really? Yeah. And I have a 1922 Maytag salesman's handbook that says how to sell based on face reading. Yeah. It, the French the French had a version of face reading and the Germans did. I mean, most countries had an ancient version of face reading. So this is nothing new. 
You know, yeah, it's it just is, that the yeah. Chinese, as natural scientists, just had a way of of carrying it through in, in, in lots of detail, and and that's what I think is so wonderful about face reading and and feng shui too. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I think we're missing a lot of information about feng shui. Just so you know, I'm I'm yeah. still hoping somebody will find texts that will give us more about feng shui because it, it's out there. Yeah, well, my fingers are crossed with you. You know, I, I would like yeah, to, to find yeah. those. Um, well, Lillian, thank you so much for doing you're this welcome. interview and taking the time. Um, I really appreciate it. And I love what you're doing. I mean, and you've oh, been, you're such a wonderful you. teacher. So I, I just appreciate my time with you and everything that I'm learning. And you were you were like such an extraordinary student. And I, I'm so thank thrilled you. that you're taking it out there in the world and doing more with it even. So yeah. thank you for thank you for doing that. Oh, you bet. Absolutely. Whatever I could do to help, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Lillian, if people want to kind of, um, you know, check out more of just your platform and stuff, what's the best right. way for people to, to find find you the website lotus institute l-o-t-u-s-i-n-s-t-i-t-u-t.com okay. so yeah what, that's about or they can write me the info at lotus institute.com okay and great. that's the very best way and they can talk to kelly harrington who runs the mm -hmm. programs and um love to see people in class we have all kinds we even have a business class for people who want to do yeah. you know face ring light <laughs> that's what i call it <laughs> yeah and, and just to kind of give people a real basic before we close right. up here just the, the basic over you've got the Taoist design program you've got right. the face reading can you give a few a list of just the courses that you kind yeah, of yeah we, we teach actually the golden path workshop which is helping people figure out their golden path and they have to actually do their own work looking mm -hmm. at past jobs and and, yeah. and photographs and the business face-to-face -face is for it's a very short um, two-day class for business people using face reading. Mm -hmm. We have the Master Face Reading Certification Program, which has three main um, modules and then two extra modules. Um, Taoist Design is is either privately with me one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. or soon we'll be taping that and putting that online yeah. so people can take that. And what else do I have? I think that's it. <laughs> I can't remember. Well, you have a, you have a cookbook coming out. Oh, yes, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah I actually have a cookbook. Have a cookbook. I have a series of cookbooks. It's called Divine Chinese Cuisine, mm -hmm. and it's it's gluten-free, lactose-free, seafood-free, nut-free, dye-free, MSG-free um, yeah. recipes from, from authentic you know, Chinese recipes from yeah. my family. So that's, uh, the first one is coming out this fall. So yeah, beautiful. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. And for everyone listening, Lillian is a you die, will get a die hard. Thank you. <laughs> She's a diehard foodie, and so yeah, definitely. Oh, I, I love cooking. Yeah, yeah. And my son, my son wrote it with me. He's actually a great chef. So <laughs> very cool. Well, yeah. thank you so much again, Lillian. I really appreciate thank it. You, so great. Okay. Lovely to see you. Okay, you too. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye.